Hello, welcome to the Career Explorer Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. Join me in this, my third episode, as we explore yet another interesting career. If you're like me, you love animals, and you'll love this episode. My guest today, Steve Osmick, is the Aviation Wildlife Manager at the Port of Seattle, working at SeaTac, which is the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Steve has been working there for over 20 years. He graduated from the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, which with a degree in wildlife ecology and management. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really uh, am honored that you'd uh, pick me to, to speak with me. So um, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. And um, I especially love the interest, you know, with young people being interested in in animals and wildlife, because I know what happens when sometimes when people get older, they have all the distractions and stuff. And and um, and sometimes the wildlife out of doors kind of uh, is that's where it is as people move inside. So thanks again, I really appreciate this. You're welcome, thank you so much. Okay, so can you tell me about what you do as a wildlife biologist? Yeah, and maybe I'll just start back uh, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, because my job has changed uh, quite a bit. I was a manager back then, but um, I was, and I was fortunate enough to really take over the longest wildlife program in the whole United States. It started in 1976, and a lot of it back then was, um, you know, using pyrotechnics and even shotguns, you know, to lethally remove animals if they got too close to the airfield. And uh, it was, and that was going on for many years, very successful program really. Um, and it continued on um, until, uh, and when I got here, Dennis Bullman, he was at a biologist, he left. And uh, I was noticing that there was a big raptor uh, issue. So raptors, when I say raptor now, people think of the velociraptors in Jurassic Park and things like that. But, you know, these are birds of prey. So those would be the hawks, the owls, the eagles, the osprey. And so they, that group of birds get struck really often, even though they're not flocking birds like waterfowl and geese, they get struck pretty often. So we started a, I started a, uh, a raptor strike avoidance program is what we called it. So uh, it really focused on trapping these birds and relocating them. In fact, that's one of the reasons I had to make this interview a little bit late because we were out at some of the raptor traps and, uh, and doing some repairs out there to make sure that the traps were functioning properly. Um, and I can tell you more about this later. As the traps close, we get an email and a text message to tell us that we might have a bird in the trap. So that's what we were working on, which is kind of a, a neat technology. Um, so, you know, it started back there. Uh, we have coyote issues. Coyotes uh, used to dig under the fence. Um, and uh, so years ago when we got that third runway, I made sure that that new fence that they were installing had a buried apron. So it was underground at a 45 degree angle. Um, so I'm going to put my hand up and kind of show you that at a 45 degree angle underground. And so what the reason for that is when the coyote comes up and they try to dig to get onto the airfield, they'll keep digging straight down as far as I have to go. They'd go down 10 feet if they had to come back up the other side. But if it goes out away at a 45 degree angle, 
they get far enough away from the fence that they're trying to, that they see in front of them, that they get discouraged and they go find another spot. Uh, the funny thing is about this is that uh, the coyotes actually helped us make a better fence to keep them out because the coyotes would find these spots that didn't have enough connections on the bottoms. And so there were small holes. So they would almost find those for us. And when we would see places where they'd be digging into it, we could go ahead and, and close those up again to help keep them out. But it's been successful this year. We've only had one coyote on the airfield. And um, so that's an example. Uh, another thing I'm work on is uh, uh, trying to keep waterfowl, you know, ducks and geese and that from using our stormwater ponds around the airport. So if you think of it this way, think about all the, I heard this number, I think we have 13, <clears throat> I wanna say 13 million square feet of concrete at SeaTac Airport. All that water, when it rains hard, like we had the last couple of days, has to go someplace. And so it has to go into our stormwater ponds. And the reason it goes there is because the water isn't necessarily contaminated. Any water that has uh, de-icing liquid for planes, that, that goes into a separate area. Uh, but most of that air, water goes into these stormwater ponds to hold it there. Because if we put that if it went into the streams and creeks right away, again, it's clean water. If it went in there so fast, it would just scour out all those creeks and streams and it wouldn't be good for salmon anymore. So we have to hold it in these ponds. But what, guess what happens when you hold all that water in these ponds around the airport? What do you think it would attract? Birds. Right, water-loving birds. So waterfowls, ducks, and geese. And so that's what we want to keep away. So we have these... Uh, bird balls, um, you've got, they're floating balls that actually float on top of the surface of the water so the birds can't see it, can't see the water and they want to land it. We have netting over the tops of these ponds. So that's part of my job. So over 21 years, we find these things that wildlife's attracted to and we mitigate that attraction by doing things like netting, putting balls on it, uh, fences to keep things out. Um, so what I've been talking about so far was a wildlife biologist. I'm really concerned about what's attracting these animals to the airport in the first place, because we don't want to have to use pyrotechnics. We don't want to have to trap if we don't have to. We don't want to do all these things. That's kind of like when everything else fails, then those are the things we have to do. So I would say a good chunk of my job still is habitat management. Let's make sure the airport isn't attractive in the first place. <clears throat> and then we don't have to use these other things, which are kind of like the fallback mechanism, the fallback things when things don't work out. So that's pretty interesting. And so when you say struck, do you mean the bird like hits the airplane or the airplane hits the bird? Exactly. And you know, my apologies because I, I should have come up with the introduction, but why, why would an airport have a wildlife biologist in the first place? That's really where we should start. And I'll answer that by saying that, uh, so when Dennis Bowman was hired here in 1976, the problem there is that there were probably 70 and some people said 100,000 starlings, European starlings flying around the airport in clouds. So 
are you familiar with what European starlings are? If you ever, if they're, they're small blackbirds and uh, they're not that big at all, you know, maybe uh, I can probably two in the size of my hand, in my palm of my hand, they're that small, but they flock in really, really dense flocks. If you're lucky enough and you can see about sundown, birds that are flying around in these dense flocks and they come down and they land the trees and that and they'll get up again and fly around again. Those are European starlings. <clears throat> and what's, what's really nuts about that is when they fly together in these flocks, they actually can do more damage to a plane than if it was a goose or something like that because there's so much uh, mass in one small area. So my job is, is to make sure planes and birds stay apart. And so, because birds can cause damage to an aircraft. There's a movie out there called Sully. Um, it's about the miracle on the Hudson. And it's an aircraft. Um, he was the captain of the aircraft, Sully Sullenberger. And when the plane hit geese, the geese went into both engines and he successfully landed that plane in the Hudson River. And that was in 2009 landed it, one person broke their leg, but other than that, there was no injuries at all. Uh, it was, and that's what I call it, the miracle on the Hudson. Uh, but that was caused by Canada geese that you see at the parks and so on, those types of birds. There was a flock of birds that they flew into. They were sucked into each engine and it stopped the engines from running. And they, it turned the plane into a glider and they just glided and the only place they could go was in the Hudson River and it was the middle of January. And you know how cold the water is and the people were standing there on the wings. You should look that up sometimes because there's a lot of great pictures. You'll see people standing there on the wings. That was because of Canada geese that was struck. So that's of course, that's my job to make sure something like that never happens. Wow. I never thought birds could be so like, I don't know, just like dangerous yeah. almost. <laughs> Well, and what's interesting is that um, it really has to do with speed. And this is a good, and I tell this like to my son too, who is 18 now, but when he started to drive, speed is really bad. The faster you go, the more likely it is for a, a bad accident. And it's the same thing with planes. The faster they're moving and they hit a bird, the more likely it is it's gonna cause damage. Uh, so even a small bird could do damage if a plane is moving, you know, 500 miles an hour. Uh, but the good thing is, is the higher you go off the ground, the fewer and fewer birds that there are. So that means when the plane's going faster, there's fewer birds to hit anyway. So that's good. So let's move on to the next question. Let's see. Um, yeah. What do you enjoy most about your job? Like, I, I'm sure there are a lot of amazing things, but what's the top one? The top one, and it includes this interview with you, is the variety. It seems like every day there's something that happens that's a little bit different. Yesterday, we had a bird strike with a gull, a bird strike with a flock of starlings, two within a couple of hours. And both really required my attention. We had to go out to the plane to take a look at it. Both cases, the plane, there was no damage in that and the, the 
they just turned around, they, they flew and it was fine. But I would go in there and I, we pulled out some feathers. In fact, these are some feathers that I'm holding up here, probably from a gull that was pulled out of an engine of an aircraft yesterday. Wow. Um, it ingested it. Now, fortunately, these engines are designed to ingest, in other words, suck in up to a four pound bird without any damage. It just spits them out the other side, you know, for the most part, but they still landed the aircraft again. They wanted to make sure it was okay and it was. They cleaned the engine out and they were able to, um, they were able to, to fly it again. So without doing any major things. So I would say the variety in the job, that's what I like the best. Is there anything you don't like about it? Yeah, uh, sometimes there's so much variety, you can't get the things done that you're trying to get done and you have to get done. Because remember the FAA, the, the, which is the Federal Aviation Administration, they're the ones that regulate how airports are run and how they function. And so there's certain things that we have to do. We have to have a wildlife hazard management plan. We have to do, we have to have reports. We have to keep good records on the, on the wildlife strikes. So the part that gets frustrating sometimes is that when you have all these other demands and challenges going on and, um, and you can't really get all your work done that you're trying to get done. Like today, I got stuck in our truck. We were outside, we were moving a starling trap, trying to pull it to some fresh grass and the truck ended up getting stuck. It went off the pavement and so, uh, it took us like an hour to get the truck unstuck. Now we have to have the, a group of people go out there and fill those ruts in the, in the grass because those ruts fill up with water and that water can attract birds. You remember, it goes back to that. So I created an attractant today before I went home to, before I go home. <laughs> so some days are like that. That is pretty cool. There's like, there's a lot to this job. There is, yeah. Sometimes too much, but it's fun. So what's your most memorable experience um, from this career experience? Most memorable? Uh, I would have to say that I was only here for a couple months and it's still the most memorable experience because <clears throat> I was called to come down because there was a, a large aircraft that had come in. I don't even know where it came from, but it landed here in Seattle. They opened up the cargo bay, you know, the big, it's a cargo aircraft. And uh, they called me because they said there were six orangutans that were in a cage that was being shipped to, uh, this was a stopover here in Washington. I don't know exactly where it was going. It was a stopover. There were six orangutans that they shipped and they could only find five of them. So orangutans are big. They weigh more than I do. And they're probably five times stronger than I am. And so I'm driving down thinking about how am I gonna do this? I don't have like an immobilization gun, you know, things you'd put drugs in to make the animals fall asleep. And, and I, I get down here and as I'm walking into the aircraft with like a catch pole, if there's something in there with the headlight in that, um, uh, they go, oh, wait, wait, wait we looked at the manifest as a list of what was actually shipped and the manifest was wrong. So they, it, they only shipped five. 
So there really wasn't six, like that one piece of paper said it was five, but all the stuff's going through my head, you know, how am I supposed to handle this situation? What am I gonna do? Um, so I still think that's probably the, the one that uh, I remember the most. And from that point on, it kind of helped you prepare. What am I gonna do if that ever happens? Now we do have an immobilization gun. Now we do have some things like this, so something like that that'll pop up again. Wow. That's like orangutans. That's that's a pretty memorable <laughs> experience. And that's the only orangutan that, as far as I know, we've ever I've ever heard about. Oh my gosh! Well, let's see. Um, what what education did it take to get to this? Uh, education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, I started off at a community college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I did the first two years there. And then from there, I went on to the University of Minnesota. And uh, that's where I, I got a degree in uh, wildlife management. And then I got a degree in ecology as well. Um, so, you know, when you're in the, the wildlife sciences, it's so broad. And in fact, it's much broader than even what they teach you in school because uh, you almost need construction experience uh, not that you can't get that. I got a lot of that just on the job training, but all those things are helpful because if you're out in the field, in fact, I used to work in Antarctica and I spent uh, over a year in Antarctica and uh, you don't have, you have to bring the tools and lumber and stuff with you to build things and that, and you don't have anybody to go to the help. So, so you really have to do all the stuff on your own. So, and I'm not saying all jobs are like that. Um, and they're not how wildlife biologists jobs are like that, but having those skills to do that is, is really great. Of course, loving to be outdoors is good, uh, but it's the educational experience. That's what, that's where it's uh, the biology, both microbiology, so microscopic and macrobiology, which is like the wildlife bird identification, mammal identification, those types of things, but the math, um, is uh, very important for population studies. Um, let's see, um, learning to write and even statistics. So you can look at uh, data over time and you can make some statements about wildlife. Like for bird strikes at the airport, we collect a lot of data so you can determine if there's an increasing number of strikes, a decreasing number of strikes, what types of birds are they? Uh, where are they attracted to? And that way we know, hey, we have another attractant that we have to mitigate because we see they're being attracted to areas. So those are the types of classes um, that we took um, back then. Wildlife diseases was another class that was very good. Uh, prescribed burning. So why would you wanna do prescribed burning? Because if you're a wildlife biologist that might work on a range uh, or work in like the Bureau of Land Management, prescribed burns and even in the forest, prescribed burns can be a very, very good thing to return the nutrients back to the soil so you can improve wildlife habitat. So um, a lot of different types of classes that way. And, uh, and that's why I kind of wanted to explain how it applies to, to, to the job. So there's a lot of skills that you need to become it. Like, yeah, there's a lot of skills you can gain too on the job. I mean, no one has all those skills when you first start out. Um, 
and that's why you're at, you, you ask the questions about the education. Um, and that's important, but also the being outside and, um, and being comfortable to be outside. Um, that's, that's important too. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, what's, what's the best career advice that you have for someone maybe interested in becoming a wildlife biologist? Yeah. So I love this question because I would say, um, take advantage of your summers, take advantage of your free time. Um, especially the summers because you have the most free time, find where you can go and, and, and talk to people and maybe, um, if you can spend a day with that person and find out what they do, uh, what you're doing right now is great. Interviewing a bunch of different people. That's really great to start. And it helps you understand how you want to use your time summers in the future. Like I might volunteer for a week or two at an animal shelter, wherever it is. But each one of those experiences is going to give you a better idea of, hey, this is maybe something I want to do. And those are all things too that you can put on your resume someday and say, I have experience working in, in animal shelters or this and that. And that helps you get those skills like we were talking about and that experience because you get a chance to do a lot of different things. What, what's the best advice you have received from someone? Since working at the airport, a lot of it has, to, it's a safety culture, you know? Um, and one thing that when you start breaking down safety, what you realize, and I've realized this in my own life, when mistakes happen, uh, it's oftentimes because you're rushing. Maybe, you, oh, you're late for a meeting or something like that. Rushing um, can cause, is oftentimes the root cause to a lot of safety issues. And that's one thing that the best advice is, be aware when you rush. Uh, you know, that situational awareness is sometimes what they call, call it. It's, uh, and I've also heard a saying too, you don't have time to do it right, but you have time to do it over again. You know, the, the thought being that, oh, you rushed the first time to try to get it done so fast, but then now you have to make up more time actually to go back and do it the right way. So, yeah, I would say that's the best advice. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to share about being a wildlife biologist? Um, no, you know, I look back over uh, the years and I think it was definitely the right career for me. So I'm happy I chose that path. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome.